I have many notes. I am scared it's going to be another one where I'm just going to say all the things that happened. Oh, that's a good choice. Oh, that's also a good choice. Oh, that's a really good choice. <laughs> Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is Volume 2. This is a podcast where we talk about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. And Volume 2 means it's 2010 to 2019. Episode 40 overall. Get out is what it is. But Ben Phillips, don't get out. Come on in. Let's talk about this movie. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I watched this like two nights ago. And then I feel terrible. Why? I, I, don't, I, don't, I got like 12 hours sleep last night. And it was crazy. I went to bed at 8 and woke up at 8. Right. And that it's sounds been like... good. Why, why <laughs> yeah, did... but I just I feel like I've got like a head cold, and okay. obviously the world's on fire, and so like any kind of illness, you start like going, oh shit, am I? How, is this it? Am I? Am I COVID? <laughs> but then like none of the symptoms are COVID, so I'm just like, okay, I think I'm uh, all right. I just feel terrible. I mean, it is also just getting colder. It's getting to like coldy, fluey season anyway. Like yeah, and I've been in the office twice this week, so it could be like <laughs> I've been I've been inoculated away from people yeah. for six months. This being recorded before lockdown two, electric boogaloo in the UK. Uh, in America, you never had a lockdown, some of you, so, you know. Speaking of feeling terrible, I guess, let's talk about Get Out, a movie that we do not feel terrible about picking. Uh, this was, of course, selected by both of us. Doesn't feel like it needs a justification. I don't think there's any version of this podcast where this movie isn't talked about, to be honest. In terms of just a cultural touchstone, this is the one of the 2010s, I would say. Like, mm. I don't think any movie is more relevant or omniscient or prescient or however you want to say it about just kind of the way the world works and what stuff would mean. Yeah, obviously several horror movies were in production already when this... I don't think this is what led to horror being huge, but this did come out, was huge, and then in 2017, multiple horror movies make a billion dollars from It to Split to Annabelle to Jigsaw to It Comes at Night and Happy yeah, Death Day. I, it, it very right. much is like a slow roll, and it very much is... I think the Blumhouse model is, yeah. is very much at the centre of that. Like Obviously, they start with like The Purge and the paranormal activities and stuff like that, where they basically have... A a very tiny amount of money to go make a movie if it's a hit we make our money back and then make so much more money and then we can afford to make five ten other movies because it's just yeah. it's a really fucking clever system of making movies i mean what the, the budget for this movie was 4.5 million dollars so you can make like 20 justice league reshoots it exists no it doesn't because you're adding new stuff you dumb fuck so this is probably the most profitable movie we're going to cover on this volume. I think we had something that was a massive hit in volume one that didn't cost very much as well. But yeah, so made 255 on 4.5. And, you know, you have a first-time writer-director in Jordan Peele. You have a star of British TV who wasn't in many movies in Daniel Kaluuya. Alison Williams' first movie. Bradley Whitford was, and Stephen Root are maybe the only people that cost any actual money to hire as actors. And they're both from TV, mostly. Yeah. So. The thing is, like, even uh, as good as Catherine Keener is, Catherine Keener is yeah. kind of not in as many things as she was kind of like 10, 15 years ago, where, like, obviously she was she was in, like, being Joe Malkovich and she's in 40-Year-Old Virgin and Capote and stuff like that, but, like, she's yeah. definitely not 
in demand when you get to 2017. Well, I think the unfortunate Hollywood turning its back on women once they hit a certain age is is coming into play here where they are disproportionately punished uh, for being human beings. And also, you know, shot in predominantly one location, smallish cast, no real big special effects. Like, this is not a zombie movie, this is not a monster movie. Mostly these are just people. Like, the, the special effects, I mean, the brief moment of surgery and the terrible CGI fire that I never noticed before. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's easily achievable. And then, yeah, it's a fucking smash hit because it turns out Jordan Peele knows what the fuck he's doing. So were you aware of Jordan Peele before this? Like, I, I don't know whether or not you From Key and Peele, yeah. yeah. From yeah. Key and Peele. Like, because that was the thing is like, I feel like Key and Peele never really got an airing in the UK. Mm. But the sketches definitely went viral. Yeah, yeah I, it's it was always a sketch on YouTube. It's I, I, don't, I still don't think I've ever seen a full episode of Key and Peele. I've just seen like dozens and dozens and dozens of sketch clips. Yeah, yeah I made a concerted effort one year to like watch all of Key and Peele. It's, mm. it's a really fucking good show. Yep. Um, in, in that way that kind of like, obviously comedy and horror are quite close together in terms of make it cheap and a lot of money from it kind of sensibilities and stuff like that and obviously there's an awful lot of race stuff in key and peel from yes. just baked into the entire concept of the show i remember i think the first sketch i ever saw from key and peel was like the start of season four or season five when the alien invasion happens mm. and they're like wandering around and the aliens aren't behaving like white people when they mm. like meet them and stuff like that and it's like would you let me date your daughter and the other goes of course and they just shoot the guy immediately because he's like white <laughs> Uh, and and, and then just the entire show is is so prescient and then this is literally his first move after (laughs) Key and Peele ends is I'm making a horror movie he might have even given away the entire plot of the movie in this interview but I listened to him on a podcast with someone who I don't want to say the name of anymore because he's a prick but I didn't know he was a prick at the time and they were just both massive like old school horror nerds and they were just going on and on and back and forth with each other about horror movies because I think that is that is the perception for a lot of people are like, oh, the ha-ha man made a scary movie? What's going on? But that's where his passion was, and he just happened to get into comedy acting and stuff. But this has always been where he's at, and you get this weird backlash now where someone was like, oh god, another horror movie from Jordan Peele. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, he's made two, and he wrote Candyman. Like, and, and that's the other thing. Like, an unfortunate side effect is people assume he's directing everything he's attached to now, and he's yeah. still only made two movies, and I, I haven't seen Us, because Us seems scary in a way that I I can't get on board with. Us, us um, is definitely scarier than Get Out. I just, I so like, I would say as a quick answer, I don't like horror movies, but actually I like quite a lot of horror movies from a certain era of, ho- of horror. Like, I love Halloween, I love Scream, I love these older ones. I don't like where horror went in the 2000s, where it's just, I feel every one of them is about a house or a little girl, and everything is just jump scares constantly and that, so. I think that's the main issue is horror movies became about either they were increasing gore fest where it was like yeah. what's the creative way that we can murder a bunch of teenagers <laughs> I don't know if Final Destination is supposed to be a horror movie. I've never found. I've always thought those were comedies, to be honest, because they're just so over the top in how they all die. Comedy and horror go hand in hand. There's an awful lot of very funny beats in horror movies. An awful lot of the deaths that you find in horror movies are supposed to be funny and over the top and and stupid. But yeah, it did did turn into either you were going to go see a saw or just an increasing amount of gore.
before or you were going to go see how can we make the audience jump not because we're doing anything particularly interesting but just because we've cut the sound out and then we'll do like a big noise and it's not particularly scary that's that's not for me at all and like when I heard oh there's this horror movie it's gonna you've really got to see it but then like I think it was listening to this interview and him talking about like I don't want to take this as my own salient observation is if you just were just sitting in the tension for the whole time kind of thing and I don't think that is actually 100% accurate because there are plenty of like payoffs and diffusions of the tension but he said that he fucking loves it's the moment before the scare comes that is better and that he set out to make the movie 90% that moment of tension and the obvious allegories with race and stuff that like everyday racism expressed to people as a spoilers we're white so this is not an experience we have but like you see people who said like Daniel Kalia was like I've been to that party kind of thing where like it's this sort of what they're calling low level racism or whatever like stuff that like white people when white people don't even realize they're being racist you know and like weaponizing that as a horror element is so smart and like i was watching atlanta earlier this week and i watched teddy perkins for the first time and i was like they are just both playing in the same space and like there's no direct link i don't think jordan peele and donald glover have ever worked together but like you know this movie opens with Redbone. this is america ends with basically the sunken place in that video but they're both playing in this space of sort of race and horror and and sci-fi and all this stuff. Let's take this iconography that any black person growing up in America would know about, and instead of having it just be a fact of life, let's use that to imbue everything with a sense of dread. Every black person who goes to the party full of white people who are, like, treating them like a zoo animal is kind of waiting for that shoe to drop where, like, something terrible is going to happen. So this movie's basically going, like, well, what if there is a terrible thing? What if, secretly in the background, it's an auction for this person? (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like for black people this is reflecting an experience they live day to day but don't see on screen and for white people it's like shit this is what it's like <laughs> like, like without the like actual horror element that that comes to the fore at the end of it like i think it does a really great job of just highlighting race like you, if you just cut out all of the bits where it is a horror movie i think it would just be an excellent episode of atlanta almost where like that also just is like presenting some everyday racism exaggerating it for effect but like just little interactions that like white people don't see kind of thing and then like being like look here it is and just dragging it out for as long as possible and just like making you sit in it kind of thing anyway this is all very high level discussion this was released february 24th 2017 it came out about a month later in the uk we just said how much money it made it also got nominated for an awful lot of oscars but we will be in this year quite a lot so we're going to hold off on the oscar talk so benjamin why don't you talk about money as it made an awful lot of it it did make an awful lot of it and that did translate more more or less to the UK. It opened number three at the UK box office, only earning about $2.6 million behind behemoths such as Beauty and the Beast earning $24 million equivalent in the UK at number one. I get it, like, kids movie opening in March, Easter holidays are going on then, it's a, a bigger market for that kind of movie. It's just sad that you get a genuinely intelligent and well-crafted like original movie and everyone's like, yeah, but we need to go see the remake of the movie that I own on DVD already. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Kong Skull Island, earning about $3.3 million. Logan, Logan like Batman movie, Viceroy's House. Sing, Moulin Rouge re-release, Moonlight, and Hidden Figures. So, like, you're seeing the start of the kind of the yearly big 
big hitters are coming out at this point, but you're also getting some holdover from the Oscar period, which has just ended. It's, it's a mess, really, in terms of the box office. <laughs> uh, but we did we did manage to give Get Out about $12.7 million of its eventual gross. Obviously, pales in comparison to just the obscene amount that it makes in America, where it earns $176 million, considering this is a debut movie. It's a horror movie, R-rated, coming out in America in the middle of February to earn over $100 million. Like, this is the success story, really, of the last half of the decade in terms of American box office particularly. You know, while we're not going to talk about the Oscars in general, just huge props to Jordan Peele for becoming just so many firsts or one of very few achievements in yeah, that. Yeah, like, e- even though we're not covering the Oscars this episode, it is important to note that this is one of only, like, five movies that's classed as a horror movie that's been nominated for Best Picture. Like, it And is even not- then, I debate some of them because I don't think Jaws is a horror movie I mean maybe if you want to be I don't know but like The Exorcist, Jaws, Silence of the Lambs Sixth Sense and Black Swan some of those are movies that have horror elements and I think this did spark a bit of a debate about basically if a horror movie is good you call it a thriller because horror is seen as low art yeah it's the same thing that happened with the prestige horror movement of this decade where like people tried to co-opt horror movies and make it seem that like well there's bad horror and there's good horror exactly. and the good horror is Midsummer and Hereditary and The Vich and you know the artsy ones the, the indie crowd like to go see and then the people who like a horror movie where it's hacky and slashy come out and go like what the fuck was that why did that movie try to make me think because <laughs> you do get those situations where like these movies sometimes don't hit with audiences though the, the so called prestige horror movies obviously that is not the case for Get Out where the cinema score was A- minus the weekend this came out which means like 84% people so they had like a positive experience with it yeah. so obviously this movie was something like again it's, it's that rare kind of like triple it's an awards hit it's a critical smash and it's something that connected with the audiences like you don't get these kind of movies that often yeah it didn't just disappear this is a thing that gets referenced and discussed an awful lot sunken place has just become part of everyday vocabulary in some as as has the shorthand for like white complacency or white flagellation of like i would have voted obama for a third time if i couldn't have oh god why would you tell on yourself by saying you didn't realize that was a joke bradley with (laughs) yeah we will definitely get into that also John Peel, the first African-American writer, producer, or director to earn $100 million for his debut film, and he was all three of those roles. And I believe he's the only African-American to be nominated as all three in the same year. And all so well-deserved. As we said, like Peel's a huge horror fan. Keegan-Michael Key put him in touch with Sean McKittrick, who's the producer on the movie, who bought the pitch on the spot because he is also a big horror nerd. Stuff like Stepford Wives was a huge inspiration, and I can see that, where it's like, when you think horror, you think monster chasing you down in the hall, but isn't it actually a little bit more terrifying when it's like a, there are many and you are made to feel uncomfortable kind of thing. (laughs) And apparently an inspiration was the BBC show Psychoville, which features one Daniel Kaluuya. But let's actually just talk about it because it's really fucking good and I like talking about it. I like (laughs) watching it. It's also real breezy. 104 minutes. A real breezy movie. 20 minutes from the end they drop the real big stuff like it just spends an, a good hour just making you sit in that discomfort of of meeting the family and the barbecue or well the the party yeah and then they're just like right cool it's almost over now here's all the the stuff that we did our best to keep out of the trailers yeah I, again <laughs> 
to go back to it, I do think there are two genres that get diminishing returns if they go over at 90 minutes, and yep. it's horror and comedy. Like, yep. I want you to be as contained and basically just hit me with the greatest hits before you let me out. I don't want yeah. a two-hour comedy movie, and quite often nowadays, and it is a big issue of the kind of Apatowian generation, where... Mm. They just they pre- leave the camera rolling. <laughs> exactly, they come to two and a half hours, and they're, they're not precious enough. Well, I think the Apatowian movies are their own weird thing, where he's not even trying to make a traditional comedy movie, he's just trying to make a hangout movie kind of thing. Yeah. But that's for a different... T- well, I guess we had our time to do that with Superbad, but... Yeah, and also both sort of, like, both trade in big setups for big reveals, both are terrible if you give too much of them away in the trailers. Like, if you give all your jokes away. I feel this happens all the time. This movie is like, oh, that looks really good, and then you go see it, it's like, oh, cool, I already saw it. You just filled in the time between the bullet points you gave me. And that can happen with horror. If you give all of your jump scales away in a horror movie, what are you doing? Kind of thing. And I think Jordan Peele was very involved with the marketing to try and convince them not to show their hand, as it were. Again, the benefit of, like, being the triple threat in terms of producing writing directing this thing but also having so little money thrown at this thing that people are going to be less precious with how it gets advertised and how much gets given away you're not even thinking how's this going to play in middle america you're like who's going to even see this so like yeah exactly like 4.5 million dollars if this hits maybe we earn about 60 70 and it's only going to hit on the coast really obviously it, it lights a fire this is i mean i don't think it's an insignificant thing that this movie comes out two months after the election post obamaism was a big thing and like i don't actually ever recall hearing this personally and maybe i got lucky but like this idea that once there was a black president racism's over kind of thing and he was like the fuck it is there's this kind of assumption that everyone right wing is racist and awful and this that and the other and everyone left wing is just great and like i think this traffics really well in why liberals are actually kind of the worst as well and like this these people i mean we know that they are secretly like super racist in a very extreme way but the way they present themselves before you get that reveal the kind of what they think of as innocent oh like oh no 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 i'm totally not racist it's like yeah you fucking are dude yeah we're we're (laughs) not racist because we want to be black people is (laughs) yes yes and like actually we were talking about this uh lavar burton's daughter mika recently left an outlet that she worked for and she she spoke about like the racism she'd experienced from the fans and everything and like she tried before she actually quit to air this out and she went on like this i don't want to call it a rant because that makes her sound like she's in the wrong but she she spoke at length about it on this video and um two of her white colleagues including her boss jumped in like i'd love to be black and it's like that's you don't know why you are being the fucking problem here but it's like commodifying certain aspects of the black experience and not acknowledging the others and like you see it with like them admiring them for his physique and like oh is it true that they're better lovers and you know all these sort of things and like diminishing them down to this and like yeah anyway again we we are just talking about the big 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 stuff let's talk about the actual movie so we start with a man who we know is called Andre getting snatched off the street by someone in a night helmet he's just walking around the suburbs he's on the phone to someone and and he's yeah you can tell he feels out of place and then yeah this car rolls up behind him and is playing this run rabbit run rabbit run 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 song which i don't know if it's just because i grew up real posh but i knew this song already and i feel this is something that like 
for a particularly an American audience, this is like a find, like an obscure, like, oh, wasn't this a creepy song? But I'd heard this growing up as a kid, but it's certainly unnerving to hear I in this feel, context. I feel like it's used in an advert. I don't know if it's possible it's international as well. I feel like Duracell or something is uh, used yeah. it all. <laughs> it's like a reasonably innocuous scene on your first watch, but like you realise on second viewings, he's on the phone to Rose. We know that that is Jeremy in the helmet grabbing him. Jordan Peele wrote into the backstory story that like uh the armitages they are descendants of the knight templar basically <laughs> is the idea and they're seeking immortality so the knight helmet is is a nod to that but keith stanfield always happy to see him doesn't do a huge amount in this but i feel he got an awful lot of the, the trailer for this was like huge i feel and yeah, like the, him the saying trailer. get out is like the pervasive line from the movie and yet he's such a tiny part of it he's got what two three scenes maximum in this entire movie and yeah. the scene where he freaks out is kind of the only hint the trailer gives away that there's it's that and it's the get out challenge of uh, of you know sprinting directly at camera those were yes. the only real horror elements they actually put in there and the rest is just like creeping around the house and, and like looking through windows and stuff like that the stuff you can get away with showing without tipping your hand but and then you get like you're just sort of like looking out of the window of a car driving through the woods and you get this sort of haunting Swahili music as the title card plays and then transitioning into Redbone as I said and like how that song shouldn't fit but perfectly does it's like a song about like sexual predatory stuff and they're turning it into like full on actually like you know watch out kind of thing <laughs> how long after Redbone comes out is this used in the beginning because I feel like it really felt very isn't. timely this song can't have been in there when they were shooting it this has to have been a very last oh, yeah, minute last decision, minute decision. Yeah, for sure. Wikipedia it says it came out on November 17th, 2016. So, oh, like, okay. considering this, considering this movie premieres at Sundance in January as well, it makes you think that, like, this must have been like they were just listening to it, or maybe mm. internal contacts like Charles Gambino sent them, or Donald Glover sent them over, like, a preview of. <laughs> Don't spoil his secret. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, this, this whole opening is so good. Like, obviously, it cuts mm. through, like, all the pictures that Chris has been taking and yeah, you get establishing to see, like, that, that whole thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say, like, like, one of the things they teach you when you're learning film is never open a movie with a montage of just, like, looking around an apartment. And yet, here's the argument, because when it, when it works, it's good. Well, <laughs> I think that's the thing. It's like, you so. don't want to go around an apartment and you don't want to see, here's all the shorthand character stuff we're introducing, because it's not really that. It's no. just basically going, like, here's pictures that he's taken. Yep. You don't find anything out about Chris apart from the fact he is good at taking pictures and that he is black from this opening moment of the movie it isn't like oh look here's a picture of his police uniform and here's a picture of his out of date bills and stuff like that and it says that he's struggling for money it's not that kind of like we're going to try and shorthand all this information very quickly we see Chris and Rose together and like in retrospect Rose is the biggest monster of this whole group oh yeah absolutely because she just is fully in this she spends two thirds of the run time Alison Williams does as the like only voice of reason other than Chris kind of you know like the only person on his side and like oh I'm so sorry they're so racist and like you know trying to warn him ahead of time oh they're gonna be a little bit dodgy sorry blah 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 and then she just turns and Jordan Peele gave her the direction of like think of it as two completely different characters and I think she nails it oh yeah like I mean I assume all anyone really had seen the hit in unless you really fucking like Peter Pan is <laughs> his girls 
is Girls. She isn't the best actress on Girls. I mean, obviously, like, we all know who the best find from Girls was, and mm. he's gone on to do so much sterling work and become, like, a Hollywood leading man. In yes, it's Yona Takam. Um, I don't actually even know if that's the member of the Lonely Island that's in it. Is it, <laughs> is it Kiva or is it Yon? Anyway. Uh, no, yes, Adam Driver is, of course, the big breakout. But yeah, she... I don't think this is, like, a stellar performance, but she nails this role. Kind of, as in, like, it's not something where I'm like, oh shit, you need to be in everything. That's but the thing like, is, like, this isn't this isn't like the performance that I come away like. I come away thinking when I watch this movie, I think of Kaluuya, Lil Rel, Better Gabriel are like the three that I come away going like, God, they really fucking good in mm-hmm. terms of like what they're doing in this movie. I think I think this is like a role where it's like if she didn't do this well, you would have it would have potentially ruined the movie a bit. Yes, but her doing it exactly as she needed to doesn't make you think, oh wow, Alison Williams really just made this whole movie happen but yeah just you know the length she's going to the life she's building with these people i think he says they've been dating for four months or something so i mean it's not like she's with them for like 10 years and then turns on them but still that she goes out she's we see her at the end literally googling around doing research for the next victim finds her way into their life establishes a full-on relationship with them plays this part where she's the only one like, from their perspective, she's almost, like, ruining it because she's helping him. But then at the last minute, the turn, and it's just like, my God, you are even more twisted than the rest of them. <laughs> it's it's so weird to think, though, because obviously, like, she's going to be, like, 28, 29, I believe, just, yeah. just based on Alison Williams' age. To imagine someone systemically only dating black people, mm-hmm. presumably not having any friends, because all of the friends are going to be a bit weirded out when all of your ex-partners start disappearing randomly. And, like, is the implication that she was dating Georgina or just befriended Georgina? I think the implication is that she dated Georgina. Like, there's an extra something going on there with her where, like, the parents are almost just sort of like, well, you know, this is the thing we do. This is necessary. Like, yeah, like, as, as shitty and outwardly hostile Jeremy is, Jeremy is just kind of kidnapping people off the street. He isn't lying to them and... It's just them. like, what's gone on here? You know, like, is it just like they've trained her to do this and she's just become ruthlessly efficient at it? Or is there, like, an extra level with her that makes her uniquely suited to do this? But anyway, they have the do-they-know-I'm-black conversation. She warns him that he will say I'd vote for Obama a third time if I could all of that stuff it's a conversation that you know we don't see a huge amount I mean there's there's always been films and TV shows like this like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner being probably the most famous one but like you know I just think like presenting it in this honest small way is really effective and Danny Kaluuya's accent in this is flawless in my opinion oh yeah um, he's, he's so good like I assume where was the first thing you saw him in <laughs> I have no idea. He's he's someone I have been seeing forever. And I didn't know his name until this. When I realised, it's like, oh, it's that dude. Like, he's been on so much British TV. He's in the Michelin Web look. He was on Babylon. He's obviously in Black Mirror. Like, all over the place in British comedy. I know I've seen him in Michelin Web look and Doctor Who and Psycho Bill. I never watched Skins, so he isn't posh Kenneth to me. But, like, Black Mirror is definitely the first thing where I came away. Because I think 15 Million Merits was, like, the one episode of that debut season of of Black Mirror that I'm like, that to me is what what the show could be. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I'm not a big fan of the pig fucking episode and <laughs> that was the one that got all the attention though <laughs> yeah and the entire history of you is obviously like a very interesting concept but i think mm. 
they do more interesting stuff with that kind of stuff later on but 50 million merits is so good and it's so much of it is based around how good kaluya is and i think it's a, a damn shame that he didn't get to stretch those drama muscles for a while after this because obviously babylon's more of a comedy uh, it's a dramedy <laughs> yes but like he, he doesn't really get to be this kind of serious leading man in this mm. kind of thing until get out and obviously since then he's had like black panther widows queen and slim he's gonna have jesus and the black messiah out next year and it's just kind of wild when people reveal this second level yeah it's like yeah okay you are very useful as a comedy hand in this as a smaller role and then it's like oh look this dude can do accents and he can be like a physical presence and he can do everything it's like oh shit i didn't know you had this in you well sorry that we all doubted you and sorry that when you revealed it for the first time we ignored you for six years until you got cast in <laughs> i think everyone just put it down to well black mirror is just black mirror you know it's just it's so good it's like well yeah but also he did a really good job there are like three performances that were nominated for best actor that i think are better than gary oldman's performance as winston churchill but so often that <laughs> award is the most acting or the yeah. biggest physical transformation but chalamet lewis and kaluuya are all so much better than well, that performance and kaluuya would have been a more than worthy winner for that award for, for sure well i mean i think there are famous stories that like the people on the academy voting committee they had trouble even convincing some of them to give it a chance so i don't know if that's yeah. playing a so they are heading to Rose's parents for the weekend, and along the way they accidentally hit a deer, and they call the police. And... In like the, one of the movie's only jump scares. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I do appreciate is like so often when something bad's going to happen in a car, it's normally filmed in such a way that like you're sat there going like, oh, they're filming it from like the window where they're going to see the truck coming into view and stuff like that. Like like how Whiplash frames it, where like yeah. you know something bad's going to happen just of the way they're shooting it. Whereas Get yeah. Out is like they're just having a conversation in the car and you yep. don't actually think anything of it until all of a sudden this fucking deer flies in from outside the frame. <laughs> and they also train you early on that daylight doesn't mean safety. Like horror movies are like, right, it's a daytime scene, everyone's fine. Oh no, it's nighttime, they're all gonna die. And so much, and obviously like the big, big stuff does happen at night here, but so much of the creepiness does occur during the day. And obviously this isn't actually a physical threat to them really, but like, yeah, to just be like, yep, here goes a scary scene that happened in the daytime. He calls Rod on the phone for the first time and he, you know, don't go to a white girl's parents' house. The uncomfortable flirting between Rose yeah. and, and yes. Rose as well. Yes, 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 yes. She takes a cigarette away. Like, there's so many tiny touches throughout that, like, make it so much richer of a second watch. And obviously this is movie one of those movies where people pick it to death and so you get yeah. the, like, little obvious bits like, well, the reason she doesn't want him smoking is because they want him to be healthy when they... You're damaging your lung transplant, man. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and the reason why she doesn't want the police officer to see his license because she doesn't want there to be a record that she came here with someone. Exactly. And but then it also does have that other level of like her being a convincing mole kind of thing because yeah, like when the police come and and, and check it all out, he tries to ID Chris even though Chris was just wasn't driving, is just hanging back. And then this very real interaction where she is going so far over the line to be like, hey, no, fuck you. What are you doing? And it's like, Dave Chappelle did stand up about this. And like, my opinion on Dave Chappelle has changed in the last couple of years. He got real weird about some stuff. But like, let me though. He did. But like, he used to do stand up about how like his white friends would talk to cops in a way that he would never fucking dream of. Just like the degree to which he's like, no, what the fuck? And the cop does back down on it. Again, like the length she goes to to stand up for him. And like, yeah, it does have that other reason that it's in her interest to make sure 
the cops don't know this dude's name or it was his license wasn't run or anything like that but it just makes her all the more horrific <laughs> when the turn comes and we of course will later learn that like his mother was killed in a hit and run so like this is a triggering thing for him but it's just just a little moment so yeah he meets the family gets a tour of the house so far so white liberal they're only kind of creepy in just the kind of overbearing way in which they're being almost too friendly towards mm-hmm. him it's the insufferable middle classiness it's the like presenting as morally upright it's the low-level misogyny and classism and stuff that try-hard liberals have and don't think they have you know like people that grew up without that much and now have quite a lot but don't think of themselves as the wealthy elite kind of thing yeah right? it's the little things like the jesse owens thing where it's like <laughs> oh granddad almost beat him or like whatever it was just even stuff that isn't racially driven like when chris says that rose is right about something he's like oh get used to saying that and it's just like you know we all meet these men every day and like they talk about the ball and chain and like oh you know the credit card spending it's like dude if you fucking hate women so much just don't date them (laughs) but yeah it's like these kind of innocuous comments and it it just it slowly descends from that into the like oh it's such a privilege to experience another person's culture it's like yeah you use the word privilege there and like it reminded me of that episode of atlanta where like it's the juneteenth episode where they go to that white dude's like open house or or whatever and like he's talking at length about his visits to africa and he's like trying to ask and about you know oh what tribe are you in it's like dude like (laughs) the fuck i'm so inclusive yeah the way that i talk that you're almost anti-inclusive because you're like you're presupposing things and putting your perception on culture onto them rather than letting them actually talk about it i felt an urge to immerse myself in someone else's culture so therefore i assume i know the culture as well as someone else and then almost erasing the individuality of the person who you're talking to and i've I've been watching cobra kai recently and this is something that they're like they come so close to touching on repeatedly that Danny LaRusso has appropriated Asian culture like he is like obsessed with everything that was taught to him by Mr. Miyagi and he like themes his car dealership around it and like goes on big rants about the best way to prepare sushi from Okinawa and all of this stuff and like it's like yes you're right he is secretly the villain in modern America but then they go the other way but yeah like this kind of stuff and then him acknowledging I know it's a bad look that like we're white people with two black servants kind of thing (laughs) because we do very briefly meet Walter and Georgina, groundskeeper, and like is, is she supposed to be just like the maid, the housekeeper the cook? I don't know, but There's so many layers Marcus Anderson's a good job, but there's so many layers to what Betty Gabriel is doing She's so creepy. <laughs> She's so creepy. She's so good at acting but then just yeah. the idea of not only are they having to pretend to be the workers and not that they're the grandparents for this weekend because of who's in the house and then act out this role it just, just the amount of just fucked up yeah. power dynamics going on within this where like well obviously we have to pretend that you're white staff and stuff like that for exactly this yeah you couldn't just be our, our black neighbors or whatever i mean they established the nearest neighbor is like a mile away but you know we, you couldn't just be two black friends we have you have to be the fucking hired help and like they they play act this out where like presumably they're still the matriarch and patriarch of the family yeah in spite of everything like this and yet they have no say or anything like that over the course of this weekend because just the, the fucked up racial yeah, yeah. power and dynamics like, of big prison. and like before you know what's going 
on. Georgina just having this sort of floatier thing to her where she seems not quite with it. And like you realise it's because she's having to like snap into character kind of thing and think through what she's doing. And also maybe like, you know, maybe she was going a little bit away with the fairies before she had her dramatic transplant. But like just so many times you walk into a room and she's just got that thousand yard stare until she's like, hello. And it's just yeah. like, and she does the best job of all of like, no disrespect to Lakeith and no disrespect to Marcus Henderson, but like they do this thing where like these three, I think they're the only three that we actually see. People who have gone through the process where they are old white dudes in the body of abducted black people and they try and drop that hint with like the antiquated manners of speaking and putting on a funny voice and she does the best job of the three of them because i think they almost take it a little bit too far with their white voice kind of thing and she just i think she delivers it in a way where she seems a little bit less sus it's it's more just she doesn't understand some modern vernacular whereas like lakeith and marcus are doing this almost faux english accent because i think for a lot of people old and white is the same as british kind of thing yeah i love Um, it they're, they're quite slow in their movements and all these different things where it's like they seem older from their movements whereas yeah. the way Beck Gabriel does it is like I mean obviously the standout scene for her is the scene where like she's having the conversation with Chris and explaining like why she keeps on plugging his phone she's just better is the, yeah, is the thing Beck Gabriel's I, just a better actor and um, like I'm not I'm not trying to snitch and then she like doesn't know what the doesn't know snitch what snitch means, means yeah. and then she says tattletale instead of rat out and yeah yeah just this dynamic and showing him around house and uh, he does drop his I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could thing and like Obama having to be the magical negro who speaks for the entire black race kind of thing and like oh look an eloquent one you know I love him how important is it that they got someone like not only of Bradley Whitford's stature but also like he's on the west wing which Mm -hmm. feels like at this point a shining light of that kind of like liberal sensibility like white liberal sensibility yeah Sorkin's brand of being a good person um, which, yeah. Peel did say he cast him because of West Wing, and I feel that Whitford didn't realise why he cast him because of West <laughs> Wing. <laughs> Look, I liked Sorkin an awful lot several years. I mean, I still like him, it's just, you know, I guess I didn't get that level of, like, why actually there's some very problematic stuff to it but like I smile when I see Bradley Whitford because I enjoyed his work in Sorkin stuff so it was like oh cool he's in a big movie everyone's talking about and I think he's decent in it as just that different kind of villainy the modern middle class white villainy oh yeah no like rather than more ha 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 I am always <laughs> happy when Bradley shows up in stuff like he's for whatever reason I think my favourite performances of his of the decade are both in horror movies where I think he's just enormous amounts of fun as being in this movie he's playing it well i guess he's playing a very similar role in both movies actually in a lot of way he adds a gravitas and he is obviously more of a tv actor but he contributes a lot just from his presence and the way that he talks and what his personal brand image is but yeah it's just laying that groundwork early they also we we talked about georgina and, and stuff and like you know they say we keep a piece of her in here and just you know all this telling dialogue and stuff and again we get the stuff with the smoking where they're like oh maybe you should quit smoking and like revealing that missy is a hypnotherapist and she has i mean it's very on the nose but fuck it it's horror that her little implement of choice is a silver spoon the accidental slip of oh grandfather's party and stuff it's like, i mean the party that he used to hold 
called every year kind of thing where they're like oh shit we called it what we call it stuff like that and uh, Georgina spilling the iced tea like it's just you know it's they are waiting as long as they can to reveal what's going on but they drop so many like something's not quite right hints for an so hour. I, I am intrigued because obviously they reveal that Andre's been missing for six months, so not not all that long. And this party is an annual event. Do we reckon that it isn't actually an annual event and this was a No, lie? I think it is because you see him at the party, he does a little twirl and they all clap. So I think it's like, oh, this is the first time we've seen this particular individual. Although then when, how would they do the... Yeah. Is it like you can pay them a lot of money mm. to do it outside of the party? It's just the parties when they do yeah, that's the, the po- auction setup. I guess that's the point, yeah, that like the auction would preclude that. But maybe it's just like parties with different groups or like we, we hold. And maybe you're right, maybe they do several auctions a year and they just call it an annual get together when they're as the cover story. I didn't really think about it because that scene where Lakeith does his little twirl and they all clap, it's like, ah, check out the new duds kind of thing. It's just one of those movies that invites you to think about it more Mm. in a lot of ways because it is really quite airtight thematically in an awful lot of ways so yeah like again rose is like oh god sorry they were being so terrible and then in the middle of the night you know he wants to smoke and they've all been getting on him about smoking he obviously declined the offer of hypnotherapy the first time uh so he heads downstairs goes out back to smoke some creepy stuff goes on and then yeah missy does give him some hypnotherapy but we get our first traditional horror movie stuff happening here as he's like walking through the house and you get the horror Strings as Georgina walks past behind him. The big the big running practice thing where he just sprints directly at him and then turns at the last second, which still so creepy. Again, I like he's not there to scare him on purpose, because obviously he apologizes the next day. And it is all back to the like, he's just trying to be faster than Jesse Owens. Yep, keeps doing his times. He'll get that time eventually. I think that's what I like, is that obviously there's an awful lot of traditional horror stuff there. Like, it's nighttime, this is when the spooky stuff's gonna happen. As you say, so you get Georgina looking herself in the window but she can't see outside because the lights are on and yeah and just, you just like, assume she's gonna look directly at him kind of thing and, and then it subverts it all by the most terrifying thing that's gonna happen is, is having a conversation with a white lady in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah exactly that's the thing like they tease you with these horror bits oh here we go it's gonna get real fucking jumpy it's like none of that is actually of any consequence Walter's not gonna do anything to him none of them are gonna do anything to him until the time comes kind of thing like they want him in good pristine condition to show him off at the auction but like they try and like present it that way so they can subvert it and then yeah like this this conversation with Missy in the night and Kalea crushes this scene I mean I think he crushes the whole movie but like this one in particular he's so good at like the nervous laughter kind of stuff like throughout the whole party and everything like that he's got that little smile on his face where it's just like you know in his head he's like the fuck but he's just trying to like hmm, okay and he's trying to like nervously play it off and like not be rude to this woman but he doesn't want to do it and then like the nervous laughter they're trying to evade the subject the engagement with it and then the way he cries is so so crushing to see and i think this scene in particular might be his strongest in the movie yeah obviously this is the poster or one of the like poster images of the movie is obviously him in the chairs kind of like in this hypnotized state and stuff like that but just the tears rolling down his face the redness to his eyes just the look of like just not wanting to be there he is so good and he's almost giving like no physical performance whatsoever it's all his face and his eyes and keeping the same posture it's like 
like stay away i don't want you to be prying inside of my head anymore yeah. the way that the conversation goes where he thinks like we're gonna have a conversation about my smoking and immediately she's just like how'd your mum die i think she gets the least i don't know i mean i guess she gets more than jeremy maybe but like there is a lot made of dean and rose and jeremy and i feel missy is just sort of quietly off to the side and then she's got her own like real evilness to her where she's <laughs> she's basically got supernatural powers but yeah like her just cutting through to like the root of his trauma and everything and paralyzing him in the sunken place and like the way this is presented it feels so i don't want to over speak about it because i don't have as much experience with it but i do feel that like some stuff i have read from people about very traumatic things that happen this feeling of like you being sort of a floaty outside observer unable to act in your own body Mm. it feels very psychologically accurate and like jordan peele said it's a metaphor for being marginalized kind of thing you've just been swept aside and co-opted into like this is what's happening there's nothing you can do about it it's kind of like the big takeaway talking point of the movie like the, the sunken place and like just yeah just so creepy it's like you see her as like a tv screen that he's getting further away from kind of thing still talking to him just great and then just like waking up the next day and like wait what the fuck happened and they established the gripping of the armchair very early again you can't be subtle you're doing a horror yeah, movie yeah nothing about <laughs> the movie the movie isn't subtle but everything has some kind of payoff eventually like the deer pays off the gripping of the armchair pays off almost every single line that pays off and obviously people find those slightly deeper ones like you've got the line that Jeremy says when like he shows up about like how you need to think three or four moves ahead of like who you're fighting and that's the way that Chris finally gets a beating move on him in the end yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. we didn't really mention but yeah Jeremy rocks up and I mean there's there's almost nothing to say about Jeremy it's just an aggressive white guy. It's this fucking crazy thing, because obviously Caleb Landry Joes, we know him from playing Banshee in X-Men First Class, <laughs> has this fucking insane year in 2017 where he's in Get Out, The Florida Project, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Twin Peaks, and he's probably the worst thing in all of them. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's a fitting part of the family, though, to really round out this, like, the darkness behind the, like, middle-class white liberal family kind of thing, where he's just this directionless guy who has affluence and doesn't really know where to point himself and is just needlessly aggressive all the time. And Yeah, I get it, but it's just he's so over the top in comparison to everyone else. He is. He is. Speech. He is for and sure. He's the one where it's like, you feel like behind the scenes, they're like, you are the one that almost blows this for us every time (laughs) in theory like on the page i like this character i'm not sure i like how it's portrayed but i see why this one was written and his like handling of the lacrosse stick and like the way he's talking to him about the world you know just like he he it's a different world to him you know and he and he's you know talking about fighting and like oh with your genetic makeup and all this sort of stuff and yeah but the next day chris is just bombarded with creepy questions and, and attention from all of the white friends uh and he meets andre who acts quite strange he pierce one of like the white people objectifying him well first dude asks him about tiger woods second dude uh, what's what's your golf swing like and he's like i've only played golf once in my life and he's like yeah no no just demonstrate what your golf swing looks like because I, if- I don't acknowledge that tiger woods just is individually good at golf i just assume it's black people like hapless athleticism <laughs> there's so many levels to it as well like uh-huh. if your brain gets fucking transplanted into someone it doesn't matter what his golf swings like now you're gonna be the one that's controlling well and 
and Stephen Root saying like, "Oh, I want your eye." Like it's like, are you saying that you think you're going to get his talent for photography? It's not literally his eye that makes him good at photography, dude. I don't know. Maybe the person saying that like black is in fashion, kind of black thing. Is, black is in fashion is really creepy, especially because it's like the single most unfashionable guy with like the <laughs> the weirdest mustache and beard combination. Um, the, the woman, woman being like, "What's the sex like?" Is it feels it's very so on the nose. Like, is it like is it bigger? And it's just like <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad they skirt under that line where it's yeah, like is yeah. it better is, is the way yeah, she phrases yeah, yeah. it and again like Kalia with that nervous smile and that sort of like mm-hmm, okay kind of thing and like just not knowing what to say and just walking away from them all the time and then and then doing that thing that like everyone does at parties when they've had enough where it's like I need to be alone <laughs> you're talking about my entire life um, <laughs> at my brother's wedding I think I excused myself no less than 10 times throughout the day he tries to talk to Walter who is just creepy smiles and antiquated speech again Georgina like catches him looking at her and stuff like that. He speaks to Andre for the first time, who also has this strange voice and way of speaking. He has a much older white partner. He doesn't accept the fist bump at the end and stuff like that. Yeah, and like he feels like he finds someone who understands sort of what he's going for when he meets yeah. Jim Hudson. Jim Hudson's like, I'm yeah. not here because you're black or whatever, blah blah blah. I'm the only thing I care about you is your eyes. And it, it's Yeah, it's like, like I just want any like if they were doing this with white people, anyone, I would I would be interested in a new body kind of thing. But he's still yeah, like I think they do a good job with him of like trying to establish someone a bit more normal kind of thing. Where it's yeah, just like it, he isn't older he is someone who you at least kind of sympathize with yeah in a lot of ways because like you he, he tells the story and it's like oh that is a shame like it's an interesting story blind art dealer who just has pictures vividly described to him and it can tell from that description whether or not the picture is good or not which is impressive <laughs> but yeah just you know he's sitting off by himself he doesn't seem you know he's not palling around with these weirdos he's just like a sad man who talks to him about art and like yeah Stephen Root this I feel this is his whole career he just comes in for small roles crushes them and leaves kind of thing yeah and it, it's good when Stephen Root does stuff like I think he's he's fucking tremendous on Barry at the moment but yeah. it is a rare occasion when he isn't that person you call in to do one or two scenes completely mm-hmm. knock it out of the park and then he'll go do 17 billion other things not sure of work when everyone goes completely silent when he goes upstairs very creepy. I don't even understand what they're doing then. Like, is it like they want to listen to what his gait sounds like when he's walking <laughs> on the floorboards? I hadn't thought about it like that, but possibly. I th- it's just it's just so weird to think that, like, because it's not like the party's staged. Obviously, yeah. it's staged so that everyone can meet him when they're, like, throwing around like cattle. But it's not like they aren't having legit conversations with people that they presumably only see at these kind of Oh, I haven't seen you, my racist white friend, for so long. Let's talk about being racist together. I think it's just for that effect of, like, all eyes are on him, the whole day is about him kind of thing. So when he leaves the room, they're all like, right, let's just really concentrate on him. Like, I I, I don't know. Finds his phone unplugged when he just plugged it in. He accuses Georgina. He calls Rod. They do this a couple of times where, like, calling Rod is there to diffuse the tension temporarily. Sex slaves. His role is actually surprisingly important, but he seems like he's just supposed to be the comic relief. And, like, you know, he improvised almost all of his lines, and, yeah, it's just sort of like, right, you're safe for a moment, he'll call. Yeah, um, this this made me miss the Carmichael show so much. <laughs> That scene, as we said, the Georgina antiquated speech when when apologising. When he says he gets nervous when there's too many white people, she cries for a second, and then she starts laughing and saying no. And, like, we know from what's about to happen with Andre that, like, it is possible for them to briefly 
regain control of their bodies and it's like they talk about how like you're a passenger in your own body and it's like is this just she can't take control of the body but like she can cry for a second before secret grandma regains control and it's just like no 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 that's not my experience it's like okay yeah yeah and then we see the big the big sexy shot from the trailer of you know he takes a picture of andre the flash is accidentally on it causes him to have a nosebleed and tell him to get out and they just have a real big freak out essentially and look at stanfield we talked about him in um short time 12 and how he just is quietly put together this great resume of work and again it's a small role but I think he's good. 2018 I feel is when he finds that like mainstream attention because obviously like he's in Atlanta at this point as the, the third lead, fourth lead I guess on Atlanta. Like, they change much. their mind like just some episodes they're like nah fuck it like it, early on it's very much like this is Donald Glover's show and here are some other people and then they just get so comfortable with it. they're like what if we just did a whole episode with Darius or a whole episode with Paperboy and Ern is barely even in it it's like oh okay fair enough yeah it is like next year because you get like sorry to bother you out where he's fucking mm. tremendous in uncut gems dives out as a one-two punch last year and again reteaming with kaluuya as i said in like Judas the black messiah which looks really interesting but yeah just just a quietly great performer someone who i'm always happy to see and stuff 100 percent. that's my general thing I'm like, oh cool lakita's in this i mean i don't really know what we can say about it like th- this is a trailer hall of fame moment yelling at him to get out yeah like this um, like even if you haven't seen the movie you probably know this scene yeah exactly the parents cover for it he had a seizure triggered by the flash photography missy obviously does a little bit of cover-up therapy kind of thing just to make sure that that personality is really truly suppressed and then we see this sort of back and forth between chris and rosa by the lake talking and he's like i kind of want to leave and we in like in like her masterclass of like manipulation mm-hmm. into by going along episode. with him yeah exactly like not like oh no we can't leave at first she's like why and then it, making him take a position of not feeling he can leave her behind kind of thing and kaluuya said he struggled with this scene because he's like why the fuck wouldn't i just leave and then peel pitched it to him as because of his mother passing and everything rose has become family to him and that he would need to protect her and that tip i think worked because again another great scene and the whole movie feels like a bit of a response to horror in general where you're just like why wouldn't you just leave and they do a decent enough job of justifying why this time he won't leave and then when it is time for him to go uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute but i really like how he plays that as well but we also see the silent bingo auction type thing again i think the first time i saw it i knew what the deal was but like i can't imagine watching at this point you don't like i don't know if you would jump all the way to are they possessing black bodies with the hypnotherapy but like it has to be getting obvious at this point there's something like that's going on because they got like the portrait of him that's the creepiest part is when i know out and it's like just a picture of him like a, a <laughs> professional photograph that they've got of him and they've blown spent up. money on this <laughs> yeah just the creepiness of like presumably they sell him for 10 million dollars based on like the way the hands are going and stuff like that and just the overall creepiness of them them feeling entitled to that 10 million dollars yeah as well like and obviously it's all it this is supposed to be a modern version of selling slaves back during that time and stuff like that but it's still just creepy to think that like because they brought him here they feel entitled to have 10 million dollars that they're doing this while he's there you know it's not like in a secret sub chamber basement or something or there i mean they've probably instructed rose like take him away somewhere that he could just wander by and watch them doing this 
makes it even creepier. They're just but willing like the to do this out in the open, but then it also being silent makes it creepy. So. And the fact that they've got the bingo cards as well, so presumably if he does come nearby, Rose will do something to make oh, people aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, there, there's an arrogance to what they do. That This operation feels arrogant throughout, and that speaks to them having done it a lot. It speaks to them being very good at it. As they're coming back to the house, we get all of the, like, Jeremy is creepily playing his little ukulele. Everyone is grinning at him as he comes in. People, like, say goodbye to him personally. Yeah, oh, else. goodbye, Chris. And it's at this point that Rod reveals that, like, yeah, I mean, we know, as the audience, that Andre is the person from the beginning of the movie, but he's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. You know, just the whole, he's acting differently, and, like, you know, I'm telling you, sex life. <laughs> and that all of this coupled with Chris already wanted to leave but he's like all right let's go let's get the fuck out of here and while Rose is getting ready to go he starts snooping about her room and he finds a little box of photos she said to him at the beginning that he was her first black boyfriend and he finds a box full of pictures of her with black people I say people because one of them is Georgina but yeah just picture after picture after picture of her and black people he's just so set on leaving that I could see a version of this where he like turns on her using only that as the reason to do so, where he's like, you get away from me as well. I think he just doesn't know what to make of it. I do wonder if if she found the keys quicker, would he have abandoned her after that piece of revelation? But obviously, like, this entire scene is just built to be ratchet yeah. attention. Like, if the keys were just this. right there and he was able to get them, would he have just taken a car and just fucking left her? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. I love his energy in this scene. Like, this feels, again, like I'm saying, like a, like a response to horror tropes where, like, let's just go, let's just fucking move. And he doesn't drop it, he just keeps going, keys 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 and he's like let's do this on the yeah. move rather than let's just and sit here letting the trap get set even tighter or whatever and um, the tension gets there from like just more and more people arriving like just one by one the entire family comes into view yeah and him feeling like backed into a corner i did want to say is the creepiest thing about the photos the fact that like after chris has been put down in the surgery we see that rose has framed them and hung them behind her bed yes it's a trophy cabinet for her and i guess that just before the party she has to take them all down and put them in the little box um, yeah exactly yeah. it's just like so creepy it's just like, oh no he's gonna come and see the pictures and be worried yeah. about the fact that i've got pictures of me with multiple black people <laughs> hanging up on my wall just pass it off as a fetish like come on <laughs> So Jordan Peele called Evil Rose Roro, and just the way her face changes when she's like, oh, I can't find them, I can't find them. Here they are. And just her whole body language changes. She puts her hair up. The way she walks is different. The way she talks is different. He was concerned about her ability to... When, when Rod calls, because Rod knows he's there, and he's the only outsider who knows where he is. So she has to, like, take the heat off it by answering the phone. And she has to be sounding like Rose, but looking like Roro. And I she think so nails that. Yeah, and it's it's a real skill. And like the creepiness of her just robotically going through, you know, like mimicking real emotion kind of thing. Just being like, I know you want to fuck me. Well, knowing her parents are sitting there judging her performance, and it's just like it just makes the whole thing so 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 that's, creepy. That thing is like her entire thing is so creepy because like she presumably figures out that he's got a recording device or there's someone there who's going to listen to the second half of the conversation, which is why she shifts into like you want to fuck me. So basically makes it completely unusable. Yeah. in that kind of realm but also the idea of she will presumably have had sex with both of the bodies that her grandmother and grandfather <laughs> are in yeah. at this point as 
well, and like... That she just weaponizes her vagina, basically. Jeremy is the one who's into, like, physical... Yeah, he does the kidnapping, and she does the the honeypotting. Raising her to play this role is is another one that feels very antiquated gender role-y, of like, well, you, my daughter, have the task of seducing some suitors. And we talked about it a little bit with Handmaiden, of like, you know, her being raised for this role, potentially, like, this is all sex is to her. It's just this tool for this, and like, you know, we talked about how she presumably doesn't have any friends, and it's like, she also presumably has no actual interest in any white people either, like, sexually or romantically, because this is just all she does. Um, and she she drops that line, you were one of my favourites, and it's just, ugh. You were one of my favourites, but it's almost like a pet. Exactly. Oh, you were a cute one. Look at you with your almost figuring some stuff out. And then we get this sort of back and forth where they don't want to reveal everything just yet. So we go between Rod having frustrating interactions with the police. There is a part of me that kind of wishes it was white police officers he was talking to, but... Mm. I understand why they don't go for that move. Well, I mean, she says, you know, white people will fuck with your head or whatever. Or, like, white girls will fuck with your head. And I guess it's the sort of thing that, like, even other black people wouldn't believe you kind of thing. Well, because I think, because he still goes in there with, like, the whole sex slave thing (laughs) as, like, the idea behind it all. And it does sound like a crazy conspiracy theory. I mean, it's the most plausible thing currently presented in some (laughs) ways because you've got these, like, black dudes with old white women. I mean, uh, yeah, technically some of them presumably are sex slaves, just in a very different way. Yeah, so I want I have... to upgrade my husband, basically. The other thing is Chris being shown these like infomercials that like Jordan Peele has acknowledged were inspired by the Dharma Initiative uh, mm-hmm. videos from Lost. He wanted to just have him forced to listen to a James Taylor song on repeat, but they couldn't afford it. So <laughs> they did this. And I think having it be this old faux old-timey TV also makes it creepy where it's like they are steeped in tradition and they're an ancient order and all of this but then also it is all modern and all of that and Peel also said that like it makes it creepier because like this was produced you hired like people to make this <laughs> and presumably this was like only about 20 years ago or whatever because yeah. like the children are in the video like yeah. we don't know how long this process has been going on but presumably in the time on this movie it's like 97 98 that they start doing this <laughs> yeah. kind of shit oh god so you know we get the info dump gradually meted out to us that essentially Dean's an expert surgeon, Missy's a amazing hypnotherapist between them they're able to do the world's first successful brain transplant and yeah, they just, they're rich white friends, bid on black bodies and transfer into them. Yeah, it's starts to click, obviously, that like they go after black people who don't have any family and mm-hmm. like the ones who won't be missed and all these Which things. feels like social commentary as well, you know, yeah. the, the, the stereotype of the fatherless black man and stuff like that and we know Chris is mother died and he never even mentions a father it's all just so creepy and i don't have many criticisms about this movie and i'm not even sure how i feel about this one but it struck me and it it hasn't before so maybe this is just a this time it bothered me and it won't the next time i see it when stephen root is explaining the process to him as well and they show the montage of the times like when they put their arms on him and you know when they were all sizing him up at the party and he's like oh sometimes they do it for this sometimes they do it for this i kind of wish they didn't show that montage yeah they need to be thing with me it's the same reason why like in the pilot episode of the wire is the only time they've got a flashback mm. piece of information to clarify stuff and it's like i kind of wish that you assume the intelligence of the audience just yeah just trust me to be smart like, i understand that it probably was like a producer's note and i would presume that like peel would probably cut it out if if given mm. half the chance but maybe this is like the one or second concession that he would have had to make to get this and yeah as you said earlier jim basically going i'm not racist i just want your eyes he can say i'm not a racist you do clearly just not 
not give a shit about at best other people and at worst specifically black people that you think <laughs> that this isn't wrong to basically murder them and possibly worse than murder them make them an unwilling passenger while you walk around in their body so it's like even if you don't think you're racist all your friends are racist and you're doing a thing that is on some level a bit racist <laughs> um, <laughs> even if you don't think it is Chris does manage to free himself though by blocking his ears with the because they keep knocking him back out the silver spoon in the teacup trigger and we keep seeing him gripping at the armrest yeah he blocks his ears with some of the stuffing so he fakes being unconscious and then he kills dean missy and jeremy i'll stop there for now the full-on like macabre chanting music as dean is prepping himself for surgery i think is much more preferable because like we're used to the soundtrack of horror being pianos and strings kind of thing and i think just doing something that feels almost cheesy i think it works personally because i think they're trying hard to not be a traditional horror movie or yeah yeah, yeah. i do i like michael abel's sound track work on this movie is like mm. really really fucking good like he comes back for us as well he's done some like just really interesting stuff because obviously he does the remix of i've got five on it for... <laughs> he beats jeremy unconscious with a croquet ball he impe- impales dean with the deer head in quotation marks cgi fire to oh, it looks real bad you should have just not done that i guess what they're going for is no matter if he gets caught or whatever this operation is over kind of thing yeah i'm yeah. sure it's like they have 4.5 million dollars they do not have the insurance to set fire to a fucking room well, well, well I'm just sort of like why do a fire at all like you've killed the doctor yeah but I think it, like, the entire point is like at the end of the movie it's supposed to be there is no house there's no burn this wicked house to the ground yeah. yeah like even even if they find it the only weird thing is like why are there melted surgery tables downstairs <laughs> or potentially covering up the evidence that would exonerate you we'll talk about that in a minute and then yeah he beats Jeremy in this this little fight where like he baits him into kicking the door closed so that he can stab him in the leg to escape his chokehold kind of yeah, like he, he thinks the four or five steps ahead. Like I do yeah. like that they each of the family members get to have like one final moment in like how you imagine them. Obviously, like the, the knocking of the teacup out of the way so he can mm. stab Missy in the eye and stuff like that. And well, she stabbed him through the fucking hand first. Yes, um... and he just kind of like blinks through because he's just like I'm done. Done. And, and then he the kicks Jeremy. Jeremy's head in as well, just because yeah. I mean he tried to kill him already and and he survived it. So I think it's just that like, nah, fuck you, <laughs> you're getting your head kicked. In. Yeah, and then we have to talk about the the creepiest image in the movie: Rose eating oh, cereal and milk right, no, no, separately. I, I, I had that as a note. I'm sorry, I will get into that now. Yeah, see, so, yeah, I separated <laughs> these out because I think those three are kind of like it's like checking them off, and then the real meat is what happens with Rose and the grandparents and like Rose sitting there individually eating pieces of children's cereal like a psychopath <laughs> is about the creepiest thing in the movie. Insane. Uh, listen, while while listening to, like, to the I'm dirty dancing type. soundtrack <laughs> and just googling black people. And it's Keegan Michael Key, isn't it? Yeah. What is it that like <laughs> triggers her to realise? Is it the car starting or I think she hears the car, yeah. Yeah, and, and then she sort of, like finds a hunting rifle and like steps outside. Something about her sitting there in this weird childlike state while most of her life is very expertly passing for an actualized person to, to seduce black people and bring them to her family's slave auctions. Yeah, where she there is a lot going on there. And she's talked about how like exclusively white people have tried to argue that Rose is like a victim of her family. And she's like, no, she's fucking evil. Look at her. <laughs> so I'm glad she gets it, even if certain white people don't. Chris hits Georgina with with the car while trying to escape. And I love that he knows he shouldn't stop. But because of 
they've laid this groundwork with this is how his mother died they did the deer scene they keep showing you this the flashback scene the highly stylized flashback scene with like the rain in the background and everything he gets out and he puts georgina in the car and he starts driving away and we see her scar for the first time and it's like oh of course andre's wearing that hat and walter's wearing a hat constantly and georgina's wearing a wig and it's like oh they have to cover this horrific scar that they can't do anything about but yeah because they, they'd shown that she had a wig earlier but you didn't yeah. really think anything of it because obviously like you expect, yeah. oh it's a weave or whatever like yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. she wakes up she causes a car crash again she even in her death scene Peter Gabriel's so fucking good. <laughs> like her attacking him is like I think in a similar way to you not liking the the flashbacks in the scene where they're like doing the exposition. I don't like that they explicitly have Rose say grandma and grandpa mm-hmm. in this scene. I like I we know at we this know. point you, who you, they are. You did that. Like get them, grandpa. <laughs> it's it's just such it's such a, it's a clunky line and I wish uh, it wasn't there. It doesn't detract from the overall quality of the movie, but it's like, ah, oh, you've been so good and there's obviously like deeper things that the movie doesn't expect you to like guess but that's fine those are fine the bullet points of the movie are very obvious (laughs) yes he blinds walter with the the flash on his phone who regains control long enough to shoot rose and then kill himself rose survives and chris begins strangling her to death and she has the evil smile and it's like oh you are the monster again i we keep saying it biggest monster in the movie by far but like obviously playing back and we know that chris has called the police as well if she's not smiling because she sees the police but she is smiling because like well uh, this is the thing we hit this point and like jordan peele talked openly about the original ending for this movie is that is the police that show up because you see the sirens and you you know you see what looks like a police car and rose smiles and starts like saying help me help me and his original ending was black man strangling white woman he's dead minimum he's arrested yeah they they they, they shot that they did end up shooting it and it's like it is still or like they bring him in and there's no charge but like no no no, the, no so they shoot the ending and it's on the DVD and yeah. so like they shoot it and he kills her before the police arrive the police uh, arrest okay. him and then six months later he's basically in prison for it and like Rod comes to visit him and, oh, it's, okay. and it's like this whole thing where like he knows he's defeated the big bad racist boogeyman kind of thing in yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. obviously like the entire thing around it is with a black audience when <laughs> the sirens start going you know what's coming next you, yeah. yeah like white people kind of go oh thank god the police have arrived they're going to sort all this mess out whereas black people go oh fuck they're going to see him over a white woman just don't resist apparently it's fine i don't think people realize it's it is a bit sick but like wanting that ending where the police wrongfully kill him to like make a point or whatever it's like but i really don't think that's necessary because there are hundreds of very real instances like this that happened this doesn't need yeah. to happen and it, john I mean, peele decided to change the ending and like yeah this is just rod who shows up and they just they just leave and he's just it is, like it's an interesting one because obviously like daniel Kaluuya does one of those movies in a couple mm-hmm. of years time when he does queen and slim and i fully agree that this is a better ending than the one that they shoot because yeah. get that cathartic payoff like it's nice to see little rel for one last scene it eases <laughs> the tension so much especially when you figure out when the movie's coming out but hearing the way jordan peele phrased it on the commentary for it i was a bit like mm, not sure there chief where he was like <laughs> oh like we, people were becoming woke and racism was getting solved was the way that he described it on the on the blu-ray and it was like oh that feels so kind of like 2016 going into 2017 opinion on where we are as a as like a species at this point yeah but yeah, just great. And, you know, no matter what, 
they destroyed, you know, they destroyed this operation, like, everyone involved. I mean, the people they were selling to were obviously all still out there, and if they are supposed to be, like, descendants of the Knights Templar or whatever, maybe maybe they wrote this down and, and they know how to do it, because Peel has said he's open to returning to this world for a sequel, but he wants to get it right, and he was like, oh, of course, the studio were immediately like, sequel, 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 sequel. It's a horror movie, you have to make seven of them. I hope I mean, he leaves it here, personally. Yeah, I mean, Us, obviously, is not a slouch of the box office, either. No. When that comes out obviously it's not as overwhelmingly received as the first one but like he got a 20 million dollar budget and basically did the same box office return i think because it just wasn't quite as hmm. universal even though it's a very interesting movie dealing with a lot of very interesting things well there you go i think the reason i don't want him to come back to it is because i feel it's a perfect encapsulated thing you know like it stands on its own it's short it's to the point it nailed every beat it was going for we had like two criticisms there a dozens of dozens of bits yeah, of players. Like, like. I think it, it's about as good as this kind of movie can expect to be. It's incredibly prescient. It's a pop culture phenomenon and like, obviously we are quite embracive of like those big pop culture moments mm. on this podcast. Like I think like we're less disparaging of things like Avengers than you would find from like an average film criticism podcast yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's just a really fucking good movie. Yeah. And, and I think as good as a, of a first of a debut movie as there is. I don't have a mental list of what that list would look like but it's got to be on the list and it may be the very best debut movie a lightning Um, bolt in a bottle kind of moment and it's one of those movies where you're like i will go see whatever jordan peele directs afterwards kind of things as well he would have to fuck up spectacularly for me not to at least be cautiously optimistic whenever i see his his name attached to a movie what about akira i've lost (laughs) track of who that's with now it it was taika at one point and maybe it's jordan at one point who fucking knows that movie's never happening what is happening is another episode of this podcast next week will be call me by your name which will be barely timely for us because it will be the very tail end of summer when we record (laughs) it will be the doldrums of the fall slash autumn when the episode gets released so maybe that'll be a nice little summer thing but matt are you excited for our little uh italian sojourn that we're going to take next week it's going to go on a big queer holiday it's going to be loads of fun um yeah i really don't know what to expect i've seen trailers for it but uh this is one i have not seen i feel it's been on netflix twice and come off and i I just keep being like what the fuck man i need to podcast on this it's definitely less i think like after having done quite a stretch of like your whiplashes creed arrival handmaid and get out this is erring more to my boyhoody tastes in a different way but it is very much that kind (laughs) of like it's a lot more laid back there's not a lot of plot it's very much just kind of like Mm. a chill hangout swim by the pool it's italian literature I like the people that are in it. It will remain to see if I like it or not. And uh, speaking of things that remain to be seen, Benjamin, will there be movies? Yeah, there will be movies. They'll be filmed on like old VHS cameras and then they'll be shown to people who are locked up and are going to have brain surgery. Yeesh, I sure hope not. Bye, everyone. <laughs>